And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I take a step back from the day-to-day -day cadence of the NBA schedule to instead take a look ahead to the playoffs, discussing which concerns could be a legitimate roadblock to a run to the NBA Finals, and which ones we think are overblown. Just as a reminder, the $1 per month athletic offer is still running, so if you're not a subscriber, go check that out at theathletic.com slash SixersBeat. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. I think uh, I think I'm ready to do some. Uh, what, what is this word? Kvetching? Is that is that how you <laughs> yes. describe it? Yeah. So we are recording this on Saturday before uh, the Sixers Wolves game. Uh, so it is not going to get out before that game is played. Uh, and also, you have you have basically two games now in a little over 24 hours. So rather than try to be relevant in terms of timeliness, we are going to do something that, uh, to steal a buzzword, is a little bit more evergreen. So we're going to do uh, not so much focus on the Sixers' last game against the Cavs as they finally beat the worst offense in the league, um, which watching that game and sort of fretting about that game and then writing about that game, you forget just how bad that Cleveland offense is because they've had the Sixers' Uh, number for the previous two meetings, but they did take care of business in that game. Joel Embiid should be back tonight against the Wolves. We will not talk about almost any of that. Instead, what we will do is take a step back. And basically, I asked on Twitter, you know, what is your biggest point of concern uh, about how the roster is constructed that could prevent the Sixers from making that run to the NBA Finals? And again, I can already see people complaining about the negativity of it. Uh, it's just, I think of everything through the, the winning a championship. Actually, if you look behind me, uh, there is my ticket to game five of the 2008 world series uh, being displayed on my, uh, in my oh, no, office. The cat has it. Oh no. <laughs> the cat doesn't have it. It could happen. I could certainly see a cat knocking it off. Um, but I, as a fan, as an analyst, I'm always thinking about what does this mean in terms of championship? So we will look at some of the potential roadblocks of this very good Sixers team. And again, I, I, if you're not a cha as championship focused as I, as, as we are, as some other fans are, I get that. If you just want to enjoy really good basketball, you have a really good basketball team, but we will be focusing on analyzing what could get in the way of a championship run or a run to the NBA finals. So these will be some of the questions that pertain to that. We, I, I asked on Twitter specifically not to bring up the obvious ones because they're obvious uh, and to try to get a little more creative Concerns, we will go over the obvious ones briefly because you can't talk about not winning an NBA championship and, you know, yada, yada, the backup five or the lack of shot creation. But we will try to get into some other ones as well. And we will sort of go quickly over these topics uh, and, yeah, just get your opinion on whether or not they're real legitimate concerns or whether they are overblown. Um, 
as they relate to, to winning in the playoffs. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. And if, uh, if you're were if you don't like the evergreen idea on this podcast, blame Adam silver, because we have a quota of podcasts we have to hit and they're playing eight times a week right now. So yeah, they're playing way too many games, way too many, games. way too many games. So let's start this off with, um, you know, we'll start off with one of the commonly discussed questions. This question comes from an, I'll call him friend of the pod, uh, Dan Pfeiffer, who, by the way, congrats on the recent addition to the family. I'm not breaking any news. He mentioned that on his podcast. But anyway, his concern is that the Sixers don't have a backup five that fits with Ben Simmons. Yeah, it's a concern. It's a pretty big concern. Ben is one of the most unique players in the league. He might be the most unique player in the league. And I think there has to be a lot of care taken in how you put the, and I, I saw, and I think one of my comments in my most recent article, why are we always talking about, um, you know, how you can overcome Ben's flaws? Why isn't he, why, why isn't it on him to overcome his flaws? Well, this is the reality of who you have. You have a, an extremely unique player who has very pronounced flaws. It is sort of on the, um, it, it, it's, you have to do everything you can to bring out his strengths and hide his weaknesses. And I don't think Dwight does that in a good way at all. Uh, and this is a concern. I think that I mean we talked about this a lot in the preseason. It's played out over the course of the season. The Dwight Simmons lineups are bad. I forget what negative ten net rating, something of that sort. Practically the worst offense in the league when they're on the floor together. It is not good. I don't expect it to get better. And it does then become an even bigger concern. We start talking about some of the other bench pieces who might be filling in alongside them. But yeah, it, like if we're rating this on a scale of one to five, like a five being yeah, it's a huge concern. A one being like we're making way too much of it. It's at least a four point five. Yeah, I think you could make it a four just because it is only one fifth like of the game. game. Yeah. But yep. within those ten minutes, it's a fifteen. So you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> right. Ipso facto, I don't know what the final uh, final number is. But on a scale of one to five, it is a it is a Concern level 16, you divide it by five because it is uh, only a, ten, a fifth of the game. Yeah, you arrive at, at that number. For yeah. sure, for sure. It's a huge, huge concern. Uh, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because we have been talking about it a lot. But it just sort of ties into the next question that I'll ask and that you need Ben to be better than he's been in previous second rounds. You need him to be that January, February Ben Simmons. And Dwight Howard isn't the one to get him to that level at all. At all. No, you, uh, right. you, need, you need him to be driving. And the, the one thing I'll add, just because I believe on our last pod, we brought up how poor the offensive scoring numbers are with uh, Ben and Dwight. I think they're at like 100 point. They're in the low hundreds of uh, points per 100 possessions, you know, kind of like 10th percentile type scoring type stuff. We have the counterpoint evidence to show that last season – when they had Al Horford stretch big, those units were humming offensively. They're pretty good. So, yeah, I think that uh, that goes to show that with Ben Simmons, the pieces that you put around him matter more than really pretty much yep. any player of his caliber um, in the league. So, I, yeah, I'm a little surprised that they have ignored this aspect of it, um, quite frankly. I think Daryl has done a real good job hitting a string of doubles. Uh, you know, he hasn't hit the home run, hasn't hit really even the, the triple and hasn't really ha had many strikeouts either. Uh, this is one where I I'm, I'm surprised he has not addressed it. 
All right, so these, this ties directly into the next two questions, which are pretty closely related. Alex asks, half-court shot creation, and there is no close second. And then Eric says, Ben is my biggest concern. I fear that defenses can shut him down offensively. Well, yeah, I mean, but besides the, the fit issues with Ben, th- there is a question of what he can do uh, in the playoffs. And, I mean, the last time we saw him, you know, again, this is the, the Ben Simmons experience where – you need him, but sometimes he has not lived up to the the billing. You needed him last year in the playoffs against Jason Tatum. That was a disaster. Like, don't let's not pretend that that series, while the Sixers probably don't win it, let's not pretend it's not way more competitive with Ben Simmons in there. Um, but you know, if you go back two years ago to the Toronto second round series, was a bystander in the uh, in the fourth quarter, which. Again, on that team, probably not as big of a deal. Not not ideal by any means, but when you have Jimmy Butler doing his thing and you know, you're sell you grinding out these games with good defense and Danny Green and Fred Van Vliet and <laughs> all these guys missing threes on the other end, not as big of a deal, but you don't have that player um the caliber of uh of Jimmy Butler. And I and I guess when you say half court shot creation, it's to me it's a two prong thing. It's all right. Well, how much do Embiid's post-ups matter in the playoffs? Like, are they as easy as they have been in the regular season? Is he, you know, getting to the free throw line as much? Is he able to diversify his skill set with that like delay action in the middle of the floor? Those type of things. That's number one. And number two, it's how confident are you in uh, in Tobias? You know, can can Tobias picking on other teams? weaker defenders, and I'm sure we'll probably get into that a little more specifically. Can he do that at a number two option type of level in the playoffs? And if he can, that's that's probably okay. But uh, yeah, no, the, the perimeter shot creation, especially when you look at teams like Brooklyn, even if you look at a team like Milwaukee, Chris Middleton is a better shot creator than anybody that the Sixers have. Like That guy can create a mid-range jumper and have it be a decent shot in his sleep. Tobias has been, you know, on that level, at least in this regular season, but got to prove that in the postseason. And then they also have Drew Holiday, who, uh, who's better than any anybody else Sixers have. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, and, and that sort of underscores the fact that it's not just about Ben Simmons, but you just don't have anyone on this team that has ever really done it at a high yeah. level in the playoffs in terms of perimeter creation. So there's a lot of, you know, if you don't have confidence that Ben is going to take that step, then that puts a lot of extra pressure. Uh, and I think this is, uh, we had had Jake say something similar. That puts a lot of extra extra pressure on players like Tobias, like Shake Milton, you know, elevating a role player into a larger role to to cover up 
a deficiency on the, the roster you just don't really have. And that's part of why, you know, um, Kyle Lowry was so intriguing. That's part of why, obviously, James Harden, it, we shouldn't have had to convince you that James Harden was intriguing, but that's that's why that kind of archetype of player was exactly what the six, whether or not that means including Ben Simmons in a package to get that player or playing alongside, you know, I think if you had the Jimmy Butler-esque player, someone to play in that role, I think Ben is probably more equipped now to succeed in the role he played in two years ago than he was two years ago, both from a mentality standpoint, a scheme standpoint, uh, just learning how to be effective off the ball. And as a screener, I think he's made some growth in that. You just don't, you don't have Jimmy Butler this year uh, or anything really even closely proximating that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, this is a it, look shot Christian. I do agree. Like that is the top concern with no real, cause you, you brought up the, yeah, the backup five is a concern, but it's only 10 minutes a game. Well, this is a, this is a 48 minute per game concern. Uh, so yeah, I I would say this is the the top. This and, is a and five. Look, the Sixers they have an average offense on the season. It's not going it to get easier a little harder in the playoffs. And you know maybe yeah. Embiid goes supernova, but um, you know I, it does get to be more of a half court game. I, I think we we talked about this when they made the draft night trades. It's like, hey, Seth Curry, Danny Green. I think that fit is going to help the team during the regular season, like you're going to get shooting around these guys, but they are limited when it turns into a, a playoff situation. They've probably been even better of a fit than we thought <laughs> for the regular season. Like it's like, yeah. it's like you said, we're, yep. we're looking forward to the playoffs, maybe going through some of the concerns here. Uh, this is like a dominant regular season basketball team right now. So uh, yeah, that's uh that's a concern. Yeah. How, how much does George Hill have, you know, in terms of that, can he, can yeah. he provide a little bit at least, you know, a little bit of pick and roll uh, scoring, you know, a, a little bit of off ball stuff? Because I, I do think like, I, I guess you, you could probably bring this up, but but I do think like Shake certainly has shown that he has his limitations creating one of them uh, recently. So, yeah. And I think, you know, when Shake came in, I think we all thought, well, he's he's going to be better as an off ball player. And then he came out last spring and he was just so dynamic. And yeah, when he's everything he's throwing up is is going in, he's he's going to be dynamic on the ball. I do think he's better in that combo slot. Uh, so I think the George Hill addition will be good for him for sure. Uh, all right, so we'll just go to the other sort of elephant in the room. Um, well, there's two more. This one from B Ball Paul, not the actual B Ball Paul at Sixers Nut on Twitter. Mike Scott as our backup power forward. Yeah, that's a concern. I, I guess I would have this lower. I, we forgot to to rate some of the bigger ones. I, I, yeah, this is a discussion. We, nobody's keeping so track of the ratings. I, I'm going to rate it lower for one reason. I'm going to rate it like a one or a two because you can't play them. You have to have a more creative solution. Now, yeah. would it be nice to have another bigger wing that you could theoretically play over over Mike Scott, would it be better yeah. to have a guy who could toggle between four and five? Like, I think if Olenek got bought out, you could at least tell him, hey, you, you have the Mike Scott minutes too, and, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Dwight. But but right now, I mean, you just, like, you, you cannot play him. You have to play smaller. You have to play Ben and Tobias at the four right. the entire game. And that's it. Yeah, and that is, I mean, that that's a, a big part of why I agree with you. I think this is an overblown concern. It's not like the center where you have to get 10 minutes with Dwight on the court. You don't need Mike Scott to play. 
you better not have him play because you have two guys who who can defend the power forward spot in Tobias and in uh, Ben, and both of those players will be playing, you know, 35 to 40 minutes per night. You would prefer to have one more multi-positional bench player, whether that is a 3-4, like you said, or a 4-5. One of those guys would be great to have, but you don't need a backup four in the traditional sense. Um, I think Doc is a little too rigid in this regard. It's tough to criticize him too much because the lineup has been, you know, there's been so many players in and out of the lineup. But when the rotation shrinks, I don't expect Mike Scott to be in it. And quite frankly, defensively, you know, if they get George Hill and George Hill can give them 25 minutes per night, well, that's 25 more minutes where you're going to have smaller on the perimeter and you can use Tobias and Ben to, to defend. So I don't worry about this one quite as much. It would be great to have a little bit more depth so you can match up a little bit better uh, to the opponent. But I don't like Mike Scott, like you said, he's it, not going to be in a rotation. It's a smaller problem. And I really cannot emphasize enough, this is where Ben Simmons really helps you because you can just move him up and down the positional spectrum defensively. You can play Ben with Shake. You can play Ben with George Hill. And you can play him with Mike Scott if if, if he was good. Because he could guard really any of these positions pretty credibly. We can talk about the, the smaller point guards, but whatever. Like He is about as versatile a defender as there is in the league. And then you have Tobias, who the four is his best, position to defend anyway so what uh yeah I, I don't i don't expect my this to be where, in the in the playoff rotation offensively you need players to really pay attention to their skill sets and how they fit with ben simmons defensively ben can cover up a lot of deficiencies mm-hmm. on that end and i do think that is um that's why i'm not as concerned as some other people uh all right so this one a little bit snarky here which i like i appreciate that I lost it. I want to give the right proper attribution here. There. From Sixers Militia, the fact that they don't have three Hall of Famers on their roster. Now, I will give him credit because he then followed up with in their primes as an addendum because, folks, Dwight Howard has a very good chance of being a Hall of Fame player no, when all is said look, and done. He is clearly not a Hall of Fame player now and not the right fit. Let's say uh, it, it's clear. Role, ben Simmons is. Of those three players, the the furthest from making the Hall of Fame. Dwight Howard's in. He's yeah. he's going to be in. How many defensive player of the years does he Dw- want? I, I would say, actually, let's put it this Two? way. Dwight is the closest. He's he's already in. I mean, I, I think Joel is, well, is going to be. Because right. if Embiid gets hurt right now. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a problem. They're, they're good. And it's it's like you were talking about there today. I thought you made a, a good point on the last pod of uh, – of how Daryl Morey thought about this trade deadline. And maybe he just looked at this and said, man, this is going to be a tough team to beat. Maybe it's not worth throwing in all of our pieces to, to go all in to try and beat this team, which is kind of funny because, you know, he was famous for going all in to try and beat the golden state warriors. And really the, the only team that really competed against what I think is the greatest basketball team of all time. Um, but yep. He, uh, he certainly, you know, whatever his motivations are, that's not how he has ultimately approached, uh, this season with the moves. So Dwight Howard, three defensive player of the year awards, uh, four top five finishes in MVP voting and career averages of, can, I, have this up. can I give Dwight some credit too? Because 
I think for the most part, we uh, we don't shit on him, but we we certainly have brought up it's a lot. Fit. Yeah, how bad the fit is. He is a good player for somebody his age, and I, I'll say this: like, not only is he a good player, he is an unbelievable athlete for somebody his age. Sure. It is ridiculous how he still gets off the floor. I mean, obviously, you know, he's we're recording this on Saturday afternoon, so we're coming off one of his better games, and not when he got thrown out of the game like three games in a row or whatever, but <laughs> I think it was only two. I think it was only two. two. Okay. So yeah, obviously it's like one of his better games and he was protecting the rim at just an unbelievable level. The, uh, the sequence of, of the block he had on Sexton followed by the, the Thibel poster on the other end was, uh, was certainly one of the highlights of, you know, recent weeks. But just the energy level that that guy brings on a consistent basis for a 35-year-old that, like you said, is defensive players of the year, led a team to the finals, has had a bunch of surgeries and all these things. It's it's pretty remarkable. Yep. Had a seven-year stretch, mostly with Orlando from 20, 2007 through 2014, where he averaged 19.8 points, 13.5 rebounds, and 2.4 block shots per game on teams that played pretty good basketball including a run of the nba finals um yeah he anyway we're completely off track yes are are the brooklyn nets a concern yeah they're a level five concern and for the most part you know i think sometimes in terms of transactions we pay a little too much well you can't trade within your conference you can't trade to another contender you can't do this you've got to worry about your own you know inside your own house you've got to worry about your own team but when you're talking about an mvp candidate who's joining two other elite players like, yeah, that's a huge concern uh, that the way that the James Harden trade shook out where he didn't go to the Sixers and also he made your biggest threat that much better. I mean, that that's a real good freaking team. Uh, that's a real good team. Not because of LaMarcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin, because of the three players that uh, you all know. And we haven't even seen them really with Kevin Durant. Uh, it is scary. And that said, you know what's annoying about this team? It looked like when they they lost a couple games in Cleveland, Cleveland has had the Sixers and the Nets number this year for some reason. I'm not sure they've won a game besides that, but (laughs) they've done a good job against those two teams. So they they lost a couple of weird games with all three of those guys healthy, I believe, against Cleveland where Sexton scored a million points. I thought during that time, it's like, okay, this team is going to be a monster come playoffs, but they're going to screw around a little bit in the regular season. They're going to settle into a, you know, maybe even like a three or a four seed at that point, Boston wasn't terrible. They might've been like leading the conference. It is, it has to be really annoying. I mean, Tobias said it after the, one of the wins the other night, he's like, yeah, these guys just don't lose. Like, like we're, we're doing a great job without Embiid right now. And every time we look up, these guys are winning every game and they're doing it without Durant. I mean, they're doing it without Harden sometimes like they really only need one of those guys. And, you know, I was watching, I watched both of their games this week against, uh, who was it? It was against Houston and it was against Charlotte and, you know, obviously not the greatest teams, but like Charlotte second night of a back to back LaMarcus Aldridge, just spanking them with, uh, (laughs) with high, with low post passing against Houston, Blake Griffin making big plays on the stretch. They, they do have some, some decent depth and they play this goofy style. I don't know if that depth is going to work in the playoffs, but I guess the main reason I'm bringing up these, these I'm goofy real, real Brooklyn curious to see how Aldridge is going to look when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, like at all. Yeah. And 
as I think many a national pundit has have brought up, maybe winning the buyout market in that sense, like if you had to promise him a certain amount of playing time, uh, Nick Claxton should be in their closing five against a lot of teams. The Sixers are the weird one because I'm not sure he is the uh, yeah not right. sure he is the bulk to battle yeah. battle big guy. But Nick Claxton, I mean, they switch pretty liberally. They switch like everything, and Nick Claxton is awesome at that, and yep. he's probably their best five man. But if you promise Aldridge and Griffin a certain amount of playing time, like I, Steve Nash has these weird rotations right now where Claxton is playing. Basically, he doesn't come in until the beginning of the second quarter and then plays the entire second quarter and then the, the fourth quarter, too. So that's goofy. Um, the, the main reason I'm bringing up these these goofy nets, blowouts, and, and wins, for the Sixers, you know what's a big part of this? Get the one seed. That is a huge deal yeah. because then you don't have to play, you know. Look, look we, we don't know how they're going to fare against some of those worst teams. But if you make Milwaukee and Brooklyn play each other in a series, and then they have to go to Philly for the the first part of the next series, that is massive. That is more important to the Sixers than any team. That would and especially be with, with the way the East is shaking out, where there's Sixers and Nets, and then a couple games, and then the, the Bucks, and then a whole bunch of games to the fourth seed. You have a pretty good idea what the one, you know, these are the top three teams in Eastern Conference, so you know what you need to do to avoid having to beat both Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And and also, we'll see what happens with that morass from, what, what is it, like 4 to 11 at this yeah. point? Like, you know, separated by, I don't know, half a game or whatever it is. It's just very jumbled together. You could play Atlanta or the Knicks in the second round if, you know, Boston and Miami don't get their shit together. So, yeah. big deal. Yep. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Miami lost a bunch in a row. They're a weird team. The whole East is a weird team outside of the top three, or weird league outside of the top three. All right, so let's move on. Um, those are kind of related. This one from Tom, pretty pretty simple. A consistent bench player. I guess I guess I guess the one way I would push back against that is I do think they have one in George Hill. Now, what George Hill? You know, I think this has sort of been under talked about a little bit, like especially if George Hill doesn't come back until there's like 10 games left, he will have sat for like, what, three months? Like, yeah. who knows how long it's going to take him to get back up to NBA game speed. Uh, even if they get his conditioning level back, it's just, it's different. And also you have to learn all new teammates and a new team. Uh, the system shouldn't be all that different, but like, it, there's just a lot that he's going to have to pick up real quickly. And look, I think he's going to be fine. But like, if he's not, that's a pretty important role on your team in the playoffs that you have a little bit of uncertainty to. Uh, I think Shake's been playing better lately. 
was great the other yeah. night. Yeah, it was great the other night. But he's over the last eight to ten games, he's been a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, there's that's a I think that's a very fair point. Like Ferk, Thibel, obviously Mike Scott and Dwight Howard, and Shake has been really up and down too. Like that that is a very inconsistent, underexperienced bench outside of Dwight. And George Hill, I think, helps that, but you have to make sure that you're getting the top of his game, George well, top of his game for mid thirties, George Hill. And and not somebody who looks rusty. Yeah, the the highs and lows have been a massive part of this uh of this bench season, especially because Doc is is playing the the all bench unit. Um real, real quick, I you know what's a sneakily tough assignment? Being the guy that guards Shake Milton, and not because you wouldn't be able to stop him, it's just gonna hurt. Yeah. He throws his body into you really hard and uh yeah that doesn't look like a lot of fun yeah i mean this one from dr mcgillicuddy a stretch of poor play from your bench a bad three-game stretch out of milton thibel and cork could be enough to sink the team it's totally fair now i'll say like you expect a nine-ish man maybe some days eight rotation in the playoffs george hill should be pretty okay um again assuming that this layoff isn't going to hurt him Shake, you hope, can get back to being consistent. And if that happens, then you are, you know, pretty far to having a a a, a solid enough bench. But even even still, you would have Korkmaz and Thibel to try to find one more consistent bench player. And it's uh yeah, look, the bench is not a strength that never will be, and George Hill doesn't complete he helps, he doesn't change that though. Well, and I would also add that Doc has played the all bench unit all season, and he is mentioned a couple of times when that unit has sucked that we're not going to do this in the playoffs. Will, will that be the case? You know, we'll have to see. (laughs) I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not in a time machine. I don't know exactly how it's going to, uh, to turn out, but you would hope that the thing that will help their, their bench unit is having a couple of starters on the floor with them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but then, and again, this goes back to Dwight too, because the one, like we can talk if two of your three or four bench players are guards, that's fine because of Ben Simmons and his versatility, but you still need one of those. If you have a nine man rotation, you need one of them to be a center and it's going to be tough to five minutes there, um, with how they stagger. That's a, that's a three or a four though, for sure. Yeah. It, It sort of touches into some of the other ones that we talked about, but yeah. Uh, okay, here's a, here's an under-the-radar one. Joel Ben and Tobias not getting foul calls in the playoffs. In addition to that, he's worried. This this is from Wes. Wes is worried that Joel will continue to try to flop in order to get those calls even when the West refs aren't going to fall for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's funny that usually I associate the the not getting the, the bullshit fouls in the playoffs with a player like Lou Williams, who's weighs maybe a third as much as Joel or Harden or Harden. But uh, let's look it up right now. He averages, oh, no, they, they drop um, so per 100 possessions. I have this up uh, his career in the playoffs. He averages uh, a little less. He had a, bu- he had a bunch uh, last year. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it, it was less, but no. Okay. So he averages 13.6 free throw attempts for 100 possessions in the playoffs compared to, uh, 14. Yeah. All right. So last year, um, 
Last year was a little bit of an outlier because they were force feeding him to an insane degree, and yep. and Boston was not defending him as much or first, not as first two years in the playoffs. That was twelve free throw yeah. attempts per hundred, so it was, it, it was substantially less. He uh, he helped overcome that a little bit last year. Yep. But that's always been a huge part of his offense, you know, in past years. If he didn't have that, he really wouldn't have been that efficient of a player. You know, the the march to the free throw line. I think you would just hope that the the counter would be one. His mid range shooting has been insane this year. Be nice if that would continue to the playoffs. We know that it'll drop. It already has started dropping a little bit before the uh, the injury. But you know, with the diversification of his skill set and that you know that hang dribble pull up jumper that he seems to have now, he. Uh, he certainly has a few more tools in the uh, in the toolbox, and and maybe that makes a difference. But uh, but yeah, and then and then you bring up Ben and Tobias. They don't shoot that many fouls, so that's yeah. uh, that's a concern. I by the way, I, there is a lot of people who complain that Ben Simmons gets less calls than anybody in the league. Maybe to a little bit of an extent, but when you shoot a bunch of runners and hook shots and things like that, like you don't get foul calls on those. So, yep. I, uh, you know, look, you can point out some plays where, where Ben certainly gets hit and, and there is no call, but I, I don't know. I feel like that's the same with a lot of players. He's not, yeah, especially ones who have the ball in his hands as much as he does. He's not yeah, a look, high I, foul draw player. Yeah. I don't think this is a, a major concern because it sort of ties into major concerns. You know, I would put this at a, like a one or a two, but the major concern, this is from um, Eli Cook and Bede actually having a good offensive second round of the series. And, and this sort of like ties into that because the Sixers rely on, on Joel so much that if he plays like he did against Boston um, three years ago or against Toronto two years ago offensively, it's going to be tough to generate points. They still don't have a, a real viable option that you can rely on working the playoffs outside of him. So if there is any kind of a regression in his efficiency, that's going to be a major, major impact. I do think that, you know, Embiid is a substantially different player than he was two years ago. And yeah, maybe last year's success against Boston wasn't the second round, but that is a a second round or a second round quality defense that he had that against. And he's much better this year. Like you said, the mid-range game, the hang pull up the passing, the double teams, I think he is a substantially better offensive player than he was two years ago. So while I think that is a major concern, I'm not all that worried about that. I think he will be good in the playoffs. And part of that is also because there's no Marcus All to run through. Uh, you know, I think the Raptors, we talked about their scheme a, a while back on our last mailbag podcast. The Raptors aren't a threat. They don't have the big physical defenders to um, match up like they used to. There's Scheme still causes problems, but I don't think they'd be as effective as they were two years ago. Boston, when you're talking about uh, the 2017-18 season, that was his first year in the league. I think this whole playoff um, style of game was new to him. I think he is a much better equipped to succeed deep in the playoffs than he has been before. Yeah, it's like in terms of how important it is, it's a it's a 10 Massive. on a scale yeah. of one to five, because right. if he does not, uh, if he doesn't play at the level that, that we're seeing from him now, they, they're going to lose at some point, which is, you know, I think that's just a, a fact, but, uh, 
it's one where I'm excited to see him handle this challenge because what he has shown this season so far suggests to me that he's ready to meet it at least, you know, at least like 85 to 90% of the way. All right. So let's run through a couple of these pretty quickly here because the podcast has gotten longer than I expected from Ryan, just the overall lack of experience playing in the conference finals, the pressure may be too great for them to deal with. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think like maybe Simmons and Embiid haven't gotten the conference finals. I do think they've gotten enough playoff experience under their belts where they should not be completely surprised by what's going to come. Uh, I think that is more uh, relevant to the bench squad. Yeah. I would agree with that. And you also have, you know, a coach who has not done well recently in the in the playoffs, but has certainly played in some uh in some big series. Yeah, that, that Toronto now, series to me, that that's like a conference final series. That that experience yeah. should serve them well. Yeah, and look, that doesn't mean I think like I don't I'm I'm not saying you can't a, a conference finals level opponent can't take Simmons out of a playoff offensively, but I just wouldn't I wouldn't expect I think that would be a lack of confidence or skill not a, oh, wow, this really surprised me, inexperienced thing. Uh, from Mark, defensive rebounding against aggressive offensive rebounding teams. It feels like we have struggled with that this year on the defensive glass this year. Uh, what is your level of concern with that in the playoffs? Yeah, like a two or a three, I would say. I So the thing I would say about that is I don't, know if I see a team that's going to crash the glass at an elite level in the Milwaukee Brooklyn type, maybe like the Lakers if they made the finals, but uh, I don't know. Those teams, if, if I have it correct, I don't think either of those teams are great offensive rebounding teams. And to, to be honest, like it, it might be a little bit more of a concern that that's the one thing that you lose when you take Dwight off the floor is that you might, lose some of yep. that defensive rebounding, but yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, I think against the, the top opponents, they're going to be okay on that, uh, on that front. And they've actually been pretty okay with that here over the last month, month and a half, like the first month and a half, they were really bad. They've been a pretty good defensive rebounding team here. I would, I want to say since like February started, they have been better. It's not been great, but it's been better. Uh, I don't think, and I still, I just think game slows down. You have Joel on the court for more Simmons on the court for more. Uh, I think they're going to be okay in that regard, but yeah, you've still got a lot, a bunch of perimeter players who are allergic to rebounding. I don't think it's going to come up in a super meaningful way in the playoffs, but I mean, it could like, there are portions of that Toronto series where they got hit pretty hard on the defensive glass, uh, which factored in game six and seven specifically. Uh, so it's not a non-concern, but it's not towards the top of my list. All right. This one from Luke, a real lockdown guard defender. He says he loves Matisse and Simmons, but water bugs can still cook them at times and they'll need to contain Harden and Irving to win the East. Well, I mean, Harden and Irving can cook. They're going to cook everyone. Yeah. 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 They're a, uh, they're out of their minds. Good. It's it's unbelievable how well they uh, they have played. And I, as somebody who's not the biggest Kyrie guy in the world, he's been awesome when he has played this year, taking that off ball role and just getting buckets at yep. an insane clip. You know, much more efficiently than he has in the past too. Um, yeah, I mean, I to me, 
that that's probably the one area where Ben can be had a little bit. The the water bug guard. Brett used to play Jay Rich and Matisse on on those players and maybe save Ben for like the fourth quarter on a Trey Young type just because you know those guys it is a little bit of a different body type than him uh i don't know i i think matisse is pretty good at guarding those guys i would yeah. uh i would feel i'll put it this way I, as much as harden and specifically irving can cook pretty much anybody in terms of like players around the nba if i'm just playing defense on those guys matisse would He'd be pretty high up there, you know. Are there twenty guys that you'd rather have in the NBA to guard Kyrie Irving than Matisse Thybul? If it's just, you know, ten fifteen possessions during a game, I'm I'm not sure the answer to that is yes. So, uh, yeah. I I like Matisse's chances to guard those players. It's just uh, the offense, you know. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's like like you said, defending Kyrie Irving and James Harden is always going to be a massive concern for every team. No, you could have three Scottie Pippins and a Bruce Bowen. And you're still going to be concerned about that because offense generally elite offense generally beats very good defense. So that's a concern. Um, but from the Sixers perspective, I think the two bigger concerns are can Matisse do enough offensively to be on the court 25 minutes per night. And what do you do for the third one? To defend Kevin Durant or <laughs> yeah. whoever's left over. Let, let, Those are the two. Like the fact that the, let's say you have, Mati- the, let's say you have Matisse on Kyrie. Right now, what is your best guess to what the other two matchups would be? I have no freaking idea. It's impossible. I have no idea. So I think I, the answer is probably put Ben I, I on Durant. Put Harden, see, I probably put Ben on Harden just because he initiates so much. Okay. First, it's it's a tough it's a tough call though. It's, so what we got? We got Danny Green. That third on? players get Danny Green's getting cooked. <laughs> He's getting cooked. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a legit concern. It's a legit, but that's what I mean. Like my concern isn't so much like, oh my God, how do you contain the ball handler? It's oh that you're, God. you're, you're one short. You're one. You're, and, and the other one, you're not even sure can play a huge role in the playoffs. Yeah. You can't shoot or dribble at times. And I guess, at times you can shoot. At times you can't. We, we talk about Brooklyn's bad defense enough that maybe Matisse's offense might not be as big of a deal in that, that series. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe. maybe maybe it's even more important because that's a person that they actually can help off of. But uh, man, it's terrible. I we gotta stop saying though that the Sixers have the bodies to guard these guys. No, no, they have one nope. guy who can yeah. like credibly guard these guys and play. Definitely both ways. pencil him in. He's yeah, right. They but you need two more. That's why they're the NBA favorites right now. <laughs> All right, this one from Josh. Uh, does Doc's willingness to make matchup specific adjustments count as a concern? Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I think I think he I think he has that question that way because I uh, specifically mentioned roster, um, but yeah, we certainly we can throw coaching in there as well. Yep. Well, and it's like you said that coaching matters more in the second round, in the third round, yep. in the NBA Finals, and Doc did not do a good job last season. We nope. It was, I think it was funny during the the Lakers game when Dwight was getting kicked out for talking shit to Montrez Harrell. You know, you had Doc just kind of staring and looking at it with a uh, perplexed look. And, uh, well, Montrez Harrell was the guy that costed Doc his uh, yep. his job. So, yeah, that's that's certainly a concern. The, uh, the one thing, though, I'm not sure you can take a ton from this season. Like, he likes his all-bench units, but 
I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that that is more a regular season thing. I'll but say I mean, over over the next, uh, you know, how many how many games are left? Twenty five, thirty, whatever. Twenty, yeah, something, yeah, something like that. Um, over over these games, though, I would like to see him shift to more of a playoff rotation. Just just show it sometimes. Show, show us that you are thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, and get them accustomed to playing in their new roles. Like, where Shake Milton doesn't have to try to create mm-hmm. all the offense with that second unit. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. And that'll be easier to do once George Hill comes back, whenever that is. But, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a major, you, you, and I think this is one instance where their biggest rival is Brooklyn, who has a rookie coach, and their second biggest rival is Milwaukee, who has had their fair share of playoff struggles as well. Uh, but you get out coached in either of those, those two series, you're, you're taking an uphill battle and making it even tougher. Um, and like, it, it is probably good for the Sixers that like Nick nurse and, you know, Brad Stevens, who's having a tough year, but that they've had the Sixers number and they show that they can scheme around the Sixers, two stars, uh, that they're not really in the running right now, but yeah, it's a concern for sure. For sure. I have a feeling they're going to play one of those two teams in the first round of the playoffs, though. That'll be great. That'll be great. Uh, oh, nothing like um, because you know, no matter Sixers could win eighteen of the last twenty-four games, have the number one seed. They meet Nick Nurse or, or or Boston in the first round, and there will be a portion of the fan base that will be panicking, uh, and it will be fun to live through. But I think that is a pretty good way to wrap it up on, and admittedly. And apologetically down podcast, I guess, from some perspective, like I said, we we are always looking towards the playoffs and what threats may lie ahead. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.